Life Audio. Do you sometimes doubt if you're truly hearing God's voice or if it's really your own? Or have you been in a season where it feels like He's completely silent? Have you been praying for a way to learn how to hear His voice more clearly? Hey friends, I'm Rachel, host of the Hearing Jesus Podcast. If you are ready to grow in your faith and to confidently step into your identity in Christ, then join me as we dig deep into God's Word so you can learn to live out your faith in your everyday life. Hey friends, welcome back to the Hearing Jesus Podcast. I'm your host, Rachel Grohl. We are continuing our devotional reading through the book of Matthew. We're picking up where we left off yesterday. We're going through the Lord's Prayer today in Matthew chapter 6. I would encourage you, if you're just joining us, to go back and listen to the previous episodes leading up till today. I think it'll make more sense for you that way. I'm going to read starting at verse 9 of Matthew chapter 6, and I'm reading from the New American Standard Bible. Pray then in this way, Our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we have also forgiven our debtors and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Now, this is just the beginning portion of the prayer, but I wanted to pause here because I think there's some things that we need to unpack before we move forward. 9 through 13 is essentially the beginning portion of the Lord's prayer But I think it's important to address some of the things that would be common to the first century Jewish culture that we may not realize or understand. See, at this time frame, and we talked a little bit about this yesterday, Jews would commonly pray three times a day. They would do it privately or sometimes in a group of 10 called a minyan in Hebrew. Again, please don't come after me for pronunciation. I learned how to read Hebrew, not to speak Hebrew. But What we see Jesus doing, especially in the beginning part of this Lord's Prayer, as it's referred to, is he uses a lot of phrases that were already being used in Jewish culture. That phrase, our father, was common to some of the other kinds of prayers that were being already prayed in the synagogues in Galilee there. There's one called the Ahaba Rabbah. It's a Jewish prayer, and it begins, our father, merciful father. And the first century 18 benedictions prayer includes the petitions, graciously favor us, our father, with understanding from you. And also another phrase that says, forgive us, our father, for we have sinned against you. In general, I think it's important to point out that the Jews recognize God as the father of Israel. And they recognize that throughout the Jewish history, throughout the Israelite history. And that's why they commonly refer to God as our father. But when Jesus says it, he says it a little differently. See, when the Jews talked about our father, they meant it in the corporate sense. But here Jesus uses the term Abba. The term Abba is a term that's used for father and it's used by children for their earthly fathers to express this warm kind of intimacy that a child will experience within the security of the care of a loving parent. And so that motif of the heavenly father does occur throughout the whole Testament, but it's different than the way that Jesus uses it. Essentially, Jesus is calling God Abba, Daddy. 
And I don't know if that strikes you the way it strikes me. I think it would have struck our first century readers as significant because you have to understand the kind of relationship that they would have understood in that Jewish Palestinian first century culture. They would have understood fatherhood as this role of power and children were powerless and they were socially dependent upon their fathers. And the fathers were viewed as these strong providers and examples for their children and the children would depend on them. That's not always the case in our contemporary Western culture. Sometimes children are the ones that hold all the power in those dynamics and those relationships. But in this culture, that's not how it was. So when you said a word like Abba, it made them stand up and take notice and have a new understanding of what it meant to lean on God as father. See, effective prayer is not this complex ritual. And we talked a little bit about that yesterday, but it's this simple cry of faith that's based on the confidence of a relationship that is a sure thing. There's no doubts there. My children do not doubt that I'm going to have dinner on the table. My children do not doubt that we're going to have electricity in the home. My children do not doubt that they're going to have clothes to wear because they're dependent on me and I've proven myself faithful to them over the course of their lives. And that may be hard for some of us that come from a rocky relationship with our own families, with our own fathers. And I think we have to recognize that what God's saying in this passage is that he can be depended on for their daily provision. He's the one that forgives their debts. He's the one that protects them. He's the one that encompasses them and provides for them and takes care of them. This is not a prayer for those that are self-sufficient and complacent. Instead, this is a prayer for those that are humble, that are dependent on God, that are broken, that are desperate. It's the prayer of those that have nowhere to turn but to God. Yesterday, I talked about how there were several petitions in this prayer. And the first petition is directed towards God's name. This hallow or holiness that it's talking about, about God's name being holy. The purpose of hallowing that name or signifying that God's name is holy is that his name would be sanctified or set apart as holy among all people and in all nations. Again, this is similar to some of the other prayers that were being prayed in the synagogues. There was an Aramaic prayer of mourning called the Kaddish. And in it, it talks about God's name being exalted and sanctifying in this world that he's created by his own will. And he talks about establishing his kingdom. And so what we see is that there's this affirmation of the typical Jewish expectation that God should be treated with his highest honor. But it's also a little bit different because it's not that the Lord's prayer was this brand new prayer that Jesus was creating. Instead, what he was doing is he was interpreting the common experience that the disciples already had as first century Jews, and he was connecting those experiences to him. A lot of this sermon and a lot of his teachings were not necessarily new practices, but rather a new way to interpret and define what was meant as he's establishing what it means to live as kingdom people. Verse 10 talks about your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. See, the Old Testament looked for God to send his anointed one, the Messiah, to rule the earth. And now that Jesus has come and he has ushered in this kingdom, his disciples can now live with this anticipation of the completion of the kingdom. When he says, your will be done on earth that is in heaven, what he's saying is that God reigns in heaven, absolutely, which means that 
all of heaven experiences his perfect will. And Jesus is praying that earth will now experience that same presence and that same rule of God. We see here in these verses this parallelism, and that is a common way that the Jewish writers would write, especially in things like poetry. And so there's three stanzas or three parallels that we see in these petitions. Hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, and your will be done. You might paraphrase those to say something like, okay, number one, pray that everyone recognizes God as holy. And number two, pray that everyone understands that the kingdom is arriving here on earth. And number three, we're praying that we would understand that your will, God's will, will be done here on earth, just like it's already being done in heaven. And so what we see is this focus of this prayer is focusing on God's kingdom and God's reign as king. Verse 11 goes on to say, give us today our daily bread. And you know, that word bread, it's referring to this concept of food, yes, but it's especially referring to all of the needs of the believers, physical and spiritual. And then that word that is translated, that word daily, it's connected with bread, of course, and it's been debated on both sides of the fence, scholars land. But the general consensus is that word is referring back to the daily reliance on manna from God in the desert back in Exodus chapter 16. And so in the same way, if you're not familiar, go back and read Exodus 16. But in the same way that manna was only given one day at a time, and it was a provision for them every single day, what Jesus is saying is the disciples should be relying on daily provision for life from God, helping them to have this developing and continuing and conscious dependence on God. You know, there was a season in my life where we experienced this together as a family. And if you've been following me for a while, if you've listened to the podcast for a while, you know that I'm not a stranger to brokenness and to hard seasons of life. And there was a season of our life that we were honestly incredibly poor. We were in a set of circumstances that we did not see coming. They weren't our fault. It was just what we had to deal with at the time. And I remember having very young children at the time and having an empty fridge. Literally, we had like three pickles and some ketchup left in the fridge. No eggs, nothing. And I remember just seeing in front of this empty fridge thinking, okay, God, I have these babies I need to feed. And honestly, on grocery shopping day, what we would do is we would go to, we live in Pennsylvania, and so it's rural. We would have these Amish stores near us, and they would, they're called bent and dent stores. And we would go to these Amish bent and dent stores, and they would have all the things that were rejected from regular grocery stores because the boxes were ripped or dented, bented and dented. You get what I'm saying? And so we would wait until the hamburger helper would go on sale. They would go on sale four boxes for a dollar, be 25 cents for a box. And I would go and I would spend about $10 and I would buy almost every box they had on the shelf. And my husband, who was a hunter, would hunt deer meat. And so we would have ground beef, which was deer meat in the freezer, and we would use this hamburger helper. And we would make that meal and we would use two boxes of hamburger helper. We would have the free deer meat. And so for about 50 cents, we could feed our family. That was the majority of our diet most days. But if we ran out of money, or if the store ran out of that hamburger helper, we very often were eating things like rice and beans. I mean, it, this was a very dark season in our lives. And I remember just standing in front of the fridge. It was open and it was completely empty, just praying, okay, God, I don't know what we're going to do. And 
you know, before you come after me, my husband and I both had full-time jobs at the time. We just were dealing with some medical bills and some budget issues with the state and just lots of things were happening. It was a perfect storm. But don't you know, as I was praying about what to even do about this, I remember just thinking about that manna from heaven experience that they talk about in the Old Testament. And I remember just thinking, okay, God, I need a manna moment because I'm dependent on you. I don't know what we're going to do. I don't know if my husband's going to have to go shoot something. I don't know what we're going to do today. And, you know, within about an hour, there was a knock on the door and our next door neighbor showed up and he had these boxes of food. Now, at this time in my life, I was especially prideful and I was not going to admit to anybody that we needed food. So he didn't know this. But here he had been working at a food pantry at their church and they had a couple extra boxes of food. And he thought, well, you know, Rachel and the kids, they, they have little kids at home. Surely they could use some extra food. And so when I opened up that door, tears just started to come down my face because here was this man with this box of food. And it wasn't a lot. It was enough to get us through the evening. And it was enough manna to get us through that next meal. And he showed up and God used him to be a, a agent of provision for us. And you know, that season, not that I want to repeat it at all, but it taught me so much about who God was, that dependency. You know, we went through this season where every single day we were praying, okay, God, we need your provision. And you know what? A gift card for $25 might show up in the mail. And you know what? $25 isn't a lot. But when you have nothing, it's enough to get you your next meal. Or something would happen and we would get a rebate on something and we would have enough. And it got us through that season. And thankfully, this was a temporary season. It lasted about six months for us. There's a budget impasse with the state and a lot of my clients at the time, I owned a daycare. They were state-funded clients and you know it was just a huge mess. No fault of our own, but still we had to deal with this season. And I remember just thinking, this must be what it was like to depend on God literally for our very next meal. And we saw God's hand of faithfulness constantly. That's what I think about when we see these words, give us today our daily bread. It's referring to depending on God for the dailies, our daily provision, our daily protection, all those things that only God can do. And then the last part I want to go over before we reread this is this idea of forgiveness forgiving our debts as we have forgiven our debtors. Sin creates this obligation. It's our debt to God. And as humans, we are powerless to repay that debt. And yet what we see in the person of Jesus is that when we have experienced true forgiveness and knowing what that forgiveness from Jesus looks like, it's automatic that we forgive others. Now, it's not that it's easy. But we are so much more compelled to offer forgiveness when we have truly experienced forgiveness of God in our lives. And then the opposite of true is true. For people that do not want to forgive others, it's usually because they haven't experienced true forgiveness from Jesus to begin with. That's that concept he's talking about. And of course, he finishes up this section by talking about the difference between temptation and testing. And we talked about that in depth in the last couple episodes. So if you want more of that, go back and listen to those. But a reminder that God does not tempt us to do evil. He does sometimes test us. And the word that's used here means both. And so what he's meaning here is that the disciples, there's two things. The disciples should pray, number one, that God removes the testing of their faith. And also that they should pray that testing doesn't become an opportunity for the enemy to tempt them. See, the enemy is always the one that's behind temptation. Even if the test was originally from God, the enemy will pervert the test 
and use that to try to gain the glory as he tempts us in that test. And so Jesus is teaching the disciples that in those occasions where they are being tested by God, they need to rely on God and that God will help them through that. Lastly, I want to just point out that what we see in the beginning part of this prayer, this passage, is that the disciples are being given this pattern for prayer from Jesus that centers around for the longing of the kingdom. And I have to ask the question, do we long for the kingdom? You know, especially in our Western world, where the cultural context is centered on comfort and recreation and pleasure, are we longing for the kingdom? You know, to be perfectly honest, as we were driving down the road, it was kind of cold the other day, and I asked my husband to turn on our heated seats. And it just kind of struck me how different my life is compared to some of our brothers and sisters in Christ that live on different parts of the world. You know, I have the unique privilege of being able to travel and work closely with those that live in some of the hardest places on earth. And for my brothers and sisters that live in those environments, it is a regular prayer of their heart for the kingdom to come. And it's not that I think that we should be giving up all of our comforts as American culture. But what I do think is that we can learn a lot from our brothers and sisters that might not have as many blessings for, as we do, because in their culture, it is a constant prayer of the heart for the kingdom to come. Do we do that? Do we have this idea that everything will be set right someday? Now, maybe in the current political climate or the social climate that we're starting to see in the United States, we're praying that more. But this prayer, this model prayer of Jesus should be centered around the longing for the kingdom to come. We're going to get into more of that prayer tomorrow, but now I'm going to go ahead and I'm going to reread those first handful of verses after we have that insight. It says, starting in verse nine, pray then in this way, our father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we have also forgiven our debtors and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Father God, we thank you that you are the God of the everyday. You are the God of the now and you are the God of the kingdom come. Lord God, as we start to study this prayer that you have set as a model, God, help us not to skip over the fact that this is ultimately a prayer about ushering in your kingdom, God, and what that looks like in our lives. God, help us to live with this tension of desiring the kingdom to come. Lord, help us not to be so comfortable with this world and our situations that we forget that the goal is to usher in the kingdom. God, I thank you for the example that you set, the way you disciple our hearts, the way you discipled the hearts of the disciples originally. God, I thank you for the way that you reveal yourself to us through your word, how powerful it is in our lives. So I'm going to pray for my friend today that is listening, that is seeking to learn more about you and your word. God, would you burden their heart with this message that this longing of the kingdom come should be the model prayer of our hearts. We thank you and praise you in all things. Amen. Okay, friends, we'll talk tomorrow. Hey friends, before you go, I want to make sure you know about our Patreon page. The Patreon page is really a place to gain all sorts of resources specifically for the Hearing Jesus podcast and the Hearing Jesus for Kids podcast. 
there's a specific and dedicated private Facebook group, which is a place for me to interact with you, to pray with you, to answer questions. I'd love it for you to join us there. And there's also another level that gives you the inside scoop on everything else that's going on. The journaling prompts are there. If you've been with us for some time, you know that I usually do journaling prompts that helps us get that information from the head to the heart. We have a downloadable daily prayer prompt that helps you get that information processed in a way that affects your daily life. There's also a Bible reading tracker on there. There's bonus episodes, lots of things on an ongoing basis, a place where you can get all the resources to help you grow in your faith. And the second thing I want to mention to you is the Dawn app, which if you've never heard of that before, I have good news for you. I just recently recorded a series for the Dawn app and also did some writing for them. And it's a daily Bible study and prayer app that is completely free. The link for that is in the show notes. And then the last thing I'm super excited about, I want to tell you that we're going to start having opportunities for travel. This is going to look a couple different ways, depending on what you're looking for, but it's going to cover things like mission trips, in-person retreats, and also eventually a Bible study trip to Rome. What I'm doing right now is I'm getting everybody's contact information so we can start communicating about what that might look like. So if you are interested in any of that, you can head to shehears.org for more information. I want to take just a second to thank the team at Life Audio for their partnership with us on the podcast. If you go to lifeaudio.com, you will find dozens of other faith-centered podcasts in their network. They've got shows about prayer, Bible study, parenting, and more. Hey friends, if this podcast helped encourage, empower, or equip you in your walk with God, I would love it if you would head over to Apple Podcasts and leave me a review. That's the number one way you can support my show. You can also join our free Facebook community or Instagram page where I share inspirational tips, bonus content, resources, and prayer throughout the week. Hey, I want you to know I'm praying for you. Know that you are so loved. Keep going. Keep going.